Hello, this is Erwin Raphael McManus. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. I want to take a moment and welcome everyone to Mosaic. Uh, we're so grateful that you've joined us today. I'm Erwin McManus. And, and if you're here for the very first time, I, I hope that you take a moment to really just lean in and allow God to speak to you in a deep and meaningful way. It's just such a beautiful thing uh, to realize that there are people not only in Los Angeles and all over the pack rim, but uh, across the United States and even across the world who, who join us uh, week after week and make Mosaic their home, their community, their family. And even though we may not know where you are, and maybe we've never met face to face, we want you to know that we love you and that we're for you and that there are people here and who are praying for you everywhere. You know, one of the uh, phenomenons over the past few years that I've noticed uh, that grabbed some attention was this idea of, of escape rooms. And, and years ago, David Arcos designed a very unique kind of experience in East LA where it was very similar to an escape room kind of experience. But, but, but frankly, one of, the, one of the things that fascinates me and also terrifies me is the, the idea of being locked into a room and you have to decode the room to find the signs and the clues and, and to find the keys to be able to, to step by step find the way to escape. Now, I understand some escape rooms are literally just a room and some escape rooms are a house designed with room after room after room where you have to work your way through. And, and I think ideally you're not supposed to be trapped in there by yourself. You're supposed to be there with a few people and you work together to escape that room. Well, if I can help it, I'm never going to experience that. But I do know that in life I've experienced that escape room kind of phenomenon where I, I felt like I'm suffocating because I've trapped myself in a moment that I, I didn't know how to find my way out of. In fact, when I was young, I don't have the skill any longer, but when I was young, I was really good at picking locks. And one of the reasons I was good at picking locks was not because I tried to get into things that I was not supposed to get into, although that may have happened once or twice. I'm not confirming or denying, but, but mostly that I wanted to make sure I was never trapped someplace I couldn't get out. Because there were times in my life where I found myself trapped in a room and the door had been locked or I was in a, uh, in a parking lot and realized I left my keys inside of my car. So uh, incident by incident, I learned how to unlock locked doors so that I could get to where I needed to go. But I find that in life, many of us do not have that skill. That we're better at creating the doors that lock us in than we are to finding the keys that let us out. And that's one of the reasons I, I am so drawn to this particular moment in the life of Jesus in John chapter eight. Because it, it's one of those escape room moments where a person is trapped in this moment. They're, they're trapped in the life that they've chosen. They're trapped in, in their, their, the worst expression of who they are. And, and, and they're trapped in this escape room. So let's look together at John chapter eight and begin reading together in verse two. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of who Jesus is and the way he interacts and relates to us in the human experience. I, I've always been drawn to this particular passage. In fact, I would say that early on in my faith journey, it was this moment in the life of Jesus that, that won me over. It compelled me. It, it, it caused me to fall in love with Jesus at a level that I didn't know was possible. But it also created in me this aspiration to be like him. Because what you discover about a person in a moment of, of this level of crisis and conflict and controversy is what actually motivates them, what's at the core of who they are. And you have this contrast between Jesus, who is holy and perfect, and this woman caught in adultery who was so broken and sinful. It's, it's here where you really discover who Jesus is. But, but more than that, I, I, I want you to, to see in this passage not only who Jesus is to us, but but the life that he invites us into. And, and if you've ever been in that, that place in your life where you feel trapped, where you feel as if you, you, you're in, in an escape room and you cannot figure out the signs or the clues or, or you can't find the key that will allow you to escape, that will lead you to your freedom. And, and maybe you're, you're like me, you have the sense of, of claustrophobia that you just, you just have to find a way out so you find yourself in a panic. I want you to know that if your life feels like an escape room, that Jesus is the key that will lead you out to freedom. But I want us to look at verse 2 and work our way down. Because if there are, are clues that help us to find a way out of an, an escape room. I want you to see the, the clues, the signs, the keys that, that Jesus wants us to see so he can guide us to our freedom. It says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman cut, caught in adultery. I think it's so interesting that, that verses two and three give us a, a juxtaposition of Jesus and the Pharisees, but there's one word that they both share with two different applications of that reality, is that they were teachers. Jesus was there sitting teaching, and then the teachers of the law came, and they began to question Jesus' teaching. And, and in fact, and I think in, in, in a very cynical, sort of jaded way, they call him teacher. They, they want to posture him as a teacher, because they're convinced that they're the ones who have the authority and the wisdom and the intellect to be called teachers and not Jesus. They think Jesus has, has overreached by teaching the people outside of the synagogue. And, and so you have this contrast of, of two different kinds of teachers. Let me tell you, 
Your life and my life, our lives will be filled in with this contrast of teachers. See, there'll always be those kinds of people who are like the Pharisees, who grabbed this woman in the act of adultery, dragged her down the street and threw her in front of Jesus. There's always gonna be these people who want to teach you a lesson. There will always be people who, who have this deep sense of self-righteousness that they need to catch you in your worst moments. They need to catch you in your brokenness. They need to catch you so they can prove that they are essentially better than you. And you have to decide in your life, who will you allow your teachers to be? And in this moment, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they claim the right to be the one, to be the teachers in that moment over Jesus who sat and taught in humility. And if you're gonna find your way out of the escape room, you need to let Jesus be your teacher. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he's never tried to teach you a lesson in the, the classic sense of that phrase. He's always trying to speak into your life and to teach you how to be fully alive. Jesus is never trying to teach you a lesson to show you how bad you are, how sinful you are, how corrupt you are, how broken you are. <laughs> All Jesus allows us to do in that regard is to come to the realization of ourselves. What he tries to teach us is who God is to us even in our worst moments. What he is determined to teach us is how to find healing in our brokenness. What he's trying to teach us is the power of grace in the middle of all of our sinfulness. And, and if you allow all the other voices in the world around you to try to teach you, you're gonna spend your entire life falling short and feeling like you're less and never good enough. The beautiful thing about Jesus, the teacher, is that even in this moment when this adulterous woman, and, and if you just look at the, the, the backdrop of this, it says she was caught in the act of adultery, which means that somehow these, these sick religionists broke into the room where she was with a man, and she's in the middle of an act of adultery, and they rip her out of that bed, drag her down the street, most likely naked, and throw her in front of Jesus. And, you know, the question that just demands to be asked is, where's the man? How is it possible that, that this woman could be caught in adultery and he's still uncharged? Why is this all about her? It, it seems to me that they had a relationship to the man, but were indifferent to the woman. And they rip her out of her shame they rip her out of her, her worst moment and throw her in front of Jesus to teach her a lesson. And even more than that, to trap Jesus, to teach him a lesson. See, I think this is the irony, is that whenever you're trying to judge another human being, whenever you're trying to teach someone a lesson, you're actually trying to teach God a lesson. What you're saying to God is, God, I don't like how you're handling this, so I'm going to handle it for you. God, I don't like how much grace you're giving other people, so I'm going to make sure that there's enough judgment here to, to compensate for your grace. And isn't it crazy that God gets such a bad reputation, that, that God is a God who's a God of, of, of judgment and condemnation, that God is full of wrath and anger, but the reality that's us. They were never angry with Jesus because he was too full of wrath. No one ever condemned Jesus for being too condemning. 
See, no, no one could ever accuse Jesus of, of using his own righteousness as a platform to try to demean and diminish other people. Jesus always postures himself with grace. Which is why Jesus is the singular voice that needs to teach you how to escape. How to escape your past, how to escape your shame, how to, how to escape your guilt, how to escape your inadequacy, how to escape your mistakes, how to escape your fears, how to escape your doubts. You're going to remain trapped in the escape room until you let Jesus be the singular voice that tells you who you are and tells you how to walk in the direction of your future. I want you to go down with me. Verse 3 on down, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? By the way, this is a very selective use of the scriptures. And they were using this question to trap Jesus as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they're using the brokenness and shame of this woman just for the purpose of making God look bad. I wonder how many times we act like we're angry with each other, but actually we're angry at God. And it goes on to say, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and, and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So if you're going to escape that room that you find yourself trapped in by the choices you've made in the past or the decisions you've made that have left you broken or to escape all the, the guilt and shame and all the fear and doubt. You need to not only let Jesus be your teacher, but you need to let Jesus be your defense. She didn't have anything to say. You know when it's really hard to defend yourself? You know, when you're guilty and you're ashamed. See, there, there's, there's no conversation here with this woman. She doesn't excuse herself or try to explain it. She just, just stands there in the weight of her guilt and shame. She was without defense. And it's Jesus who actually chooses to defend her. It would have been so easy for Jesus just to tap out of the situation and just to look at her and say, you know, you reap what you sow. You made your choices. You made your decisions. Now you have to live with it. You guys We'll have to decide what you do with her. I think it's a beautiful thing that Jesus chooses to intervene for someone who did not deserve intervention. See, she wasn't asking for his help. She wasn't begging for his mercy. She, I think she didn't even feel worthy of being protected and defended. I find so many times in life, the reason we're trapped in an escape room is not just what we've done, but that we have the sense of our lack of worth. And we convince ourselves we're not worthy of a new life. We're not worthy of a new start. We're not worthy of a new future. And one of the reasons I want to speak into this is that 2020 has been dominantly 
painted as the year of, of, of a global pandemic and a national quarantine or, or a global quarantine. But, but one of the significant crises of 2020 isn't simply that people have died of COVID. We have out of control depression across the modern world. We, we, we have in our nation the highest rate of suicide in, in, in our history. We, we have the highest rate of overdoses. We have an out-of-control opiate crisis. And, and, and in fact, what we see across our nation and what's being unspoken is that we are dying of depression. We're dying of despair. We're dying of guilt and shame. We're dying of hopelessness. And even when you look across the national landscape, Chicago's murder rate has gone up over 50% from 2019 to 2020. New York's over 40%. Los Angeles, over 30%. We're not even talking about the level of violence and, and hostility that has erupted over 2020. And I think what's happening is, is that we're, we're focusing on this external crisis. We're focusing on the, the issues of this pandemic and quarantine, and we're ignoring the, the deep issues of the human spirit. And if you allow bitterness and rage and anger, if you allow fear and doubt and despair to overwhelm you, your greatest danger will not be COVID. Your greatest danger will not be some pandemic that's coming from another source. Your greatest danger is going to be the condition of your heart, the health of your soul. And I wonder how many of us have come out of 2020 and we've forgotten who we are. We've stopped believing that the future can be better than the past. We stop believing that our lives can be better than they have been. We stop believing that we can change, that we can grow, that, that our, our world can actually overcome this crisis and we can step into a future filled with hope. And I, I think that, that there's so many people who are losing an inner war, an inner battle. And, and then to add insult to injury, we live in a culture of, of swarming in social media where it just seems that the voices of hate get more and more pronounced and get louder and louder and the voices of grace and acceptance and love are silenced. And I don't know where you are or what you've been through. I, I don't know what you're struggling with right now, but. Well, what I want you to know is that even if everyone else has given up on you, Jesus has not given up on you. That in those moments where you don't even feel like defending yourself because you feel like you're not worth the effort, Jesus always believes your value is infinite. So Jesus bends down and starts writing on the sand, and, and they're they're angry because Jesus isn't responding to their accusations. And they're angry at Jesus' lack of response. He just writes on the sand. I just love this about Jesus. You know, there, there is nothing 
that remains from Jesus' life where he ever wrote a single word down. He didn't write any books. He didn't write any poems. He left us no written manuscripts, only people writing about him and writing down what he said and what he did. And this is the one time in the scriptures we have a record of Jesus actually writing something down. And it doesn't tell us what he wrote. But he's writing on the sand as all these men had stones ready to hurl them at this woman, caught in adultery, trapped in her own sin, in her own guilt, in her own shame. And it says as Jesus wrote, one by one, they began dropping their stones. He actually bent down and wrote a second time. And he does make this one observation. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. There must have been an uncomfortable silence. Let anyone who is without sin throw the first stone. And then he just stooped down and began to write again. And it says, one by one, they began to drop their stones from the oldest to the youngest. There's some fascinating theories about what Jesus wrote. But I, 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 I like to think that Jesus just started writing the names of, of women that they had been involved with. Or maybe some sin or offense that they were guilty of. Or maybe he just began writing down the commandments. Whatever he wrote spoke volumes and left them silent. See, the worst thing about judging another human being is that the standard by which you judge others is the standard by which you will be judged. And, and I, I find it interesting, sociologically, you can know this about people, that the very things they accuse other people of are usually their hidden demons. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walked away. I have lived holding tight to this truth all my life. I've followed Jesus now for four decades, and I am so glad that, that the early part of my journey was before Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and social media. I am so glad that I was able to work through so much of my life journey before 1999 and the eruption of the internet. Because at least my failures and my mistakes and my shortcomings were contained within the small groups of people that saw and experienced my stupidity. And when you begin the journey of faith, you are overwhelmed by the mistakes you've made. I actually felt more guilty after I gave my life to Jesus than before. Because before, I didn't even think about some of the things I did as wrong. And then after I gave my life to Jesus, it was like this light came on and, and every fragment of my soul went running trying to find some dark corner to hide. And so I've held on to this truth that, that when I'm naked and ashamed, when, when I'm worthy of judgment, 
and condemnation that Jesus is always the one there just writing in the sand, making sure that every stone drops. And I've learned this over four decades of living in a relationship with Jesus, that God really does have your back, that God is really for you, that God is the best defense you will ever have. And, and the crazy thing about it, it's not because God isn't aware of the worst aspects of who you are and what you've done and where you've been. Ironically, he's the one who knows the most and is the one who is most willing to forgive and heal and allow you to move forward in your life. That escape room, that room where you're suffocating, that room you can't get out of, that room that you built for yourself, but you didn't bother to give yourself a map on how to get out of the, of the trap that you created for yourself. That escape room has clues and it has signs and it has keys. And the first way to your freedom is to let Jesus be your teacher, to be the one who speaks into your life, who tells you who you are, to let Jesus be your defense, to not live your life and fear what other people say and do, but to live your life in the presence of the God who gave his life for you. And then it tells us that there's only Jesus and the woman left, still standing. Now, I don't know why, but if I were just to end the story here and I didn't know everything about Jesus, I would think this would be a very bad moment because now everyone who has no right to condemn her is gone. The only person left is the one person who has every right to condemn her, Jesus. So this wouldn't be a moment if you were this woman and you knew very little about Jesus, we'd go, oh, I'm free. See, this would be the moment you would be terrified. Everyone else who's a hypocrite, everyone else who's self-righteous, everyone else who's judgmental, they're gone. It's you and your shame and nakedness and Jesus, the Son of God, holy, perfect, standing in front of you. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I want them to sink in so deeply into your soul so that no matter what you've ever heard about God, no matter what you've ever heard about Jesus, no matter what you've heard about the Bible, and stop listening to the rumors of God and listen to what God is saying to you. Jesus says to her, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, when you're trapped in the escape room and, and you let Jesus be your teacher, he begins to give you the signs and the keys and the codes to escape. He teaches you how to move forward in your life. No one else can help you find the future God has for you except the God who created you. You let Jesus be your defense. You just keep moving forward. You keep changing and growing. You know, one of the curious things about our culture is that we now have a culture where everyone just goes backwards. 
I heard and saw how someone had to apologize for a tweet or something they said 20 years ago. And I'm like, really? You shouldn't as much be embarrassed about what you said 20 years ago. You should actually be proud that it took them to going back 20 years. That means you did great for 19 years. They couldn't find anything for 19 years and finally had to find something you said 20 years ago that would bring you embarrassment. And, and the reality is that this woman, this wasn't something she did 20 years ago. This wasn't something she did two years ago. This wasn't something she did two months ago or two days ago. This was something she did two minutes ago. This was where her life was right then. And Jesus was still her defense. He still stood in between those who would judge her and condemn her. And then he stands up and he says, woman, who condemns you? I think this is a rhetorical question since there's no one else left. She goes, no one, sir. This had to be this moment where she feels this incredible release, a shock that, that Jesus of Nazareth, that the Messiah, the Christ, the one who's come to take away the sins of the world, that he would look at her and say, neither do I condemn you. And I want you to hear what Jesus is saying to you right now. See, I don't know where you've been or what you've done or, or who you think you are or not or what other people think about you. Or I want you to hear what Jesus is saying to you right now. Neither do I condemn you. And if you'll let Jesus be your teacher and if you'll let Jesus be your defense, he's also going to be the one who becomes your freedom. Let Jesus lead you out. Let Jesus be your way out of the escape room that would leave you trapped, trapped in your past to never step into your future. I love how after Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. So he doesn't water it down. He says, you have been living a life of sin and I'm giving you an opportunity to step into a life of freedom. So take this moment where I have stood for you and fought for you and use this moment as the defining moment of your life where you step into your freedom. I think sometimes we don't take full advantage of this. So many of us who have come into a relationship with Jesus, we, we understand what it means to receive his forgiveness and to receive his grace. And, 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 and yet we don't realize that Jesus is forgiving us and giving us grace, not just so that we can be free of guilt and shame, but so that we can be free to live a life of fullness. He's not freeing you so that you can stay in the escape room looking outside too afraid to go and live. He has given you the way out of the escape room so that he can be your way out to your freedom and to your future. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the scriptures tell us this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And one of the great challenges of... Um, of living in a relationship with Jesus in such a public world in which we live is 
that you, you, you find that so oftentimes it's not even people without Jesus who are, who are the most ready to condemn. So oftentimes it's, it's those of us who actually claim to be followers of Jesus, those of us who have been a part of, of the church who have claimed this, this faith. We're the most judgmental and condemning and critical and abusive to each other. And we need to realize that one of the most powerful gifts Jesus has given us is not the power to throw stones, but the power to release them so that we can not only find our way out of the escape room, but so that we can help others find their way to freedom. 42 years ago, I was terrified uncertain, apprehensive, afraid. But I took a risk and I crossed the line of faith and I said, Jesus, I give you my life. I didn't even know what that fully meant. I wasn't even sure completely who Jesus was. I, I, I didn't know what that would look like. I just knew I needed God. I just knew that there was an emptiness inside of me that I needed to be filled and meaning I was searching for and and acceptance and identity I could never find. And, and, and the possibility that, that I could find it all in Jesus was more than I could resist. And, and I remember just saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm here and I'm yours. And I want you to know that in that moment, I, I felt everything this passage is describing. I felt as if Jesus stood up for me and all of my nakedness, and all my shame, and all my guilt, and all my inadequacy, and all my failures. He said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be your teacher. I'm gonna be your defense. I'm gonna be your way to freedom. You're not trapped. Because I know the way. Just follow me. If you're listening right now and you feel like your life has become an escape room and you're suffocating and it's hard to even believe that your life can get better, that you can get better, I want you to take this moment right now and muster up all the courage and faith you can. I want you right now to choose to cross the line of faith and to give Jesus your life. I want to lead you right now in a simple prayer where you can put your life in Jesus' hands and say, Jesus, I'm trapped in this escape room and I'm convinced you're the only way to freedom. You're the only one who knows the way out. So right now, would you just tell him right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him, just pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you're listening right now, and this is your prayer, if in this moment you're choosing to cross the line of faith, I want you to right now to go to, go to mosaic.org slash follow Jesus. Mosaic.org slash follow Jesus. And let us know that today, that right now, that this moment, You've given your life to Jesus, that you've whispered this prayer to him, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, let us know so that we can help you on your spiritual journey. 
Giving your life to Jesus is a very intimate and personal thing. But living the life of Jesus is something that's supposed to be done in community. It can only be done when we do it together. So I wanna encourage you to not try to do this alone. Right now, just go to mosaic.org slash follow Jesus and allow us to celebrate with you, to pray with you, and to help you begin this new journey with Jesus. Remember, no matter what kind of escape room you've created, and some of us have been really creative and have trapped ourselves by so many bad, destructive choices in our life. Jesus knows all of the signs, all the clues. He knows where all the keys are. He knows the way of escape because he knows the way forward to your future, to your freedom, to the life he created you to live. This is the day that your future begins if you just put your life in Jesus' hands. Hey, God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.